Palm Sunday. And to make this day a special day, I am going to make today a day of surprises. And I'm excited that you're all here. I'm excited that you're desiring to come on this day. And I don't know if any of you knew that today was Surprise Sunday. <laughs> but it is. It's Surprise Sunday. You'll see. Because everything we're going to work through in this message is going to deal with surprises. Now, when you talk about surprises, surprises can be good and bad. And we all like the good ones, right? We all love good surprises. Surprises maybe when someone gives you money. Surprises when somebody always gives you something that you weren't expecting, like a trip. I don't know if you guys all know, when Becky and I were first married, I, I took her from Ohio to California. And we were living in California, and she was away from her mom and dad for the very first time for an extended period. She lived out of the home prior to that, but in Columbus. So one day I thought, all right, let's do this. I tell her we're going out like for dinner or something, and we get in the car, and as we're driving, we're driving more and more, we get to the airport, and she goes, what are we doing here? And then I pull into the airport, and I open up the trunk, and in the back of the car was a suitcase that I had a friend of hers pack for her, and I shipped her off to Ohio, and she had no idea she was going, and that was a very big surprise for her. Now that we've been married 30-some years, I will never do that again, <laughs> but that was a surprise. I don't know if you've had surprises in life where you've met a celebrity. I have. It's been, uh, was it Jody from Family Affair? We were at the Getty Museum and we turned around and there's Jody and that was kind of a fun day. I, I don't know if it, you can ever remember meeting the person that you married for the first time, but if it was a surprise, wow, I just ran into somebody and I think they're really special. Surprises are special and when friends pop in, it's nice when somebody gives you a surprise party. It's really fun. I've had two in my life. The first one I kind of suspected, the second one blew me away. Very disoriented, had no clue. It took me about 10, 15 minutes to really figure out where I was when we had that going on. So those are all good surprises, and I'd be kind of curious to hear some of your surprises that were positive. But there are also surprises that are bad. And <laughs> I don't know how many of you are still traumatized when the teacher walked into the room and says, surprise, quiz, all right? Those could be traumatizing. Or if you were in the work or military and somebody said, surprise, inspection, and all of a sudden you weren't ready, and it would be all the more frustrating. If you're always somebody that is on top of things, then it's a surprise inspection, and you get marked down because you weren't ready. It was just something that hit you by surprise. And there are surprise announcements like, hey, our company's closing, that's a negative. Hey, I'm breaking up with you, which is a big negative. Or hey, you've got cancer, and that's a big negative as well. What is the key element of a surprise? The key element of a surprise is that you didn't see it coming. And I think that's gonna be important as we move through today, that you don't see it coming. Now, the other element, of what makes a surprise a surprise is how significant it is. If you know you find a penny on the road, you say, well, that was a surprise. I wasn't expecting to find a penny, but that's not that much. But the magnitude of maybe getting the, the gift of money, a big trip or something like that, that will be something that will always have more of a lasting impact, right? 
So we can all grasp the idea of the element of the significance impacts the surprise. Now, when we talk about surprises, if they are tied to pranks that go wrong, they can be really bad. And I think some people don't like surprises because of that. And I wanted to tell you about two that you're gonna see interact with this message. First one happened in 2019. There was a guy in Florida and he was gonna celebrate his 62nd birthday. So I read this article this week and I thought how ironic because I'll be 62 this, this year. And he was gonna celebrate his birthday and his son-in-law who was living in Norway, they don't tell you why in the article, but he, he decided to travel all the way to Florida to see his father-in-law to celebrate his birthday. And the guy flies in, comes to Florida, and knocks on the door and thinks, hey, I got this really great idea. I'm gonna hide in the bushes. But unbeknownst to him, unbeknownst to him that the father-in-law has been a little bit edgy. I don't know everything that he's been dealing with, but when the son-in-law hides in the bushes, jumps out and yells, surprise, the father-in-law takes out a gun and shoots him. And the guy died. This is a true story, 2019. All right? Not a good surprise. The other one, and I did a little research on this one, because I had to ask Annie about this. This husband decided to throw his wife a surprise party. And she was a nurse. And she would go and do her shift and wear her scrubs. And when she came home, she would drive into the garage. And for whatever reason, I asked Annie, you, when you're working as a nurse, you don't like to have the junk from being a nurse all over you. So she would drive into the garage, close the garage, I mean, oh, no, I was open the garage door, shut the garage door, run into the mudroom, take all her clothes off to run into the shower. Husband forgot that. Husband has her parents, his parents, the neighbors, the friends, and everyone. Then she comes out, surprise! And she's totally naked. And the reason I read about it is because they were still having marital problems. <laughs> okay? All right? And, and it was not a good surprise. All right? Well, listen. I'm making this a day where I want you to be blessed. And I want you to understand that today is a day of surprises. So let me get my things out of here. And what I want to do is have you turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. But like I said, everything that we're doing today is a surprise. And what I what I did on Wednesday, just so that you Nobody would think this was premeditated. I took a couple baskets and I put numbers. And what I did was I numbered every row here in the church. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It goes all the way up to 17. And what I did was then had little Charles pull out a number. And he pulled out number six. Okay? Then I asked him to pull out another card, right or left, and he pulled out left. Then I asked him to pick, because every pew, his, 
It has a right, a middle, and a left. Pick out another one. And it went right, left, middle. And so we run all the way to the sixth pew. One, two, three, four. Wait, did I get right? One, two, three, four, five, six. And what number did you pick? One, two, three. <laughs> Surprise. Okay. There's a gift card. All right? Not everyone's getting a gift card this way. Well, I thought about doing that. But I wanted this to be a Sunday, would you remember? And hopefully, and that will remember over and over this is a day I got a gift card. Think about the fact that some people didn't get gift cards. Keep that in the back of your mind. So, why are we in Revelation chapter 20? Well, because we've been studying the book of Revelation, and I can tell you this is, again, a God thing. Because we, I could have worked this out better. When we've been studying the book of Revelation, if you haven't been with us, as you study the book of Revelation, you go through the tribulation and it deals with the seal, trumpet, and then bold judgments. And as we've been wrapping up the entire horrific time when most of the world dies, we just recently, a couple weeks ago, wrapped up in Revelation chapter 19 that Jesus Christ returns. And he comes to earth and at this point he kills the Antichrist. Throws him alive into the lake of fire. Surprise. He comes and he returns to earth and he kills every unbeliever. Kind of surprised. And at this point, if you are like me and you became a believer in your 20s and you're reading the book of Revelation for the first time, don't you think at this time we should have eternity kick in? Shouldn't it be that all of a sudden... Everything is going to be perfect and there's never going to be a Satan again. But what do we get? Surprise. We get a millennial kingdom that you should have known about. Look at Revelation chapter 20. Let me read this text. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. So the Antichrist has been thrown into, into the lake of fire. His accomplice, we call it the false prophet, has been thrown into the lake of fire. And now this angel comes down with this giant chain. And verse 2, he lays hold of the dragon. And look at how graphically verse 2 goes. He lays hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil of Satan. He bounds him for a thousand years. And you've got to say, time out, surprise, what are you talking about? I want him gone. Verse 3. Forever. Because I want him thrown in the lake of fire. I just don't want him thrown into the abyss. When you understand what the abyss is, that you can come in and go out. You don't want him thrown there. Verse 3. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him. So that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. And then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of the, the beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus, and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast of his kingdom, and had not received the mark of the forehead on their hand. And they came to life and 
Verse 5, the rest of the dead didn't come to life until the thousand years were complete. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God in Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. I don't know if you've noticed it, but we've already said, I believe, five times a thousand, a thousand, a thousand. Do you know most churches today do not believe that that means a thousand? Verse 7. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. <laughs> Surprise! What do you mean you're going to let Satan go? We just went through seven years where people were dying left and right. Evil was getting its way completely. Aren't we done with this? What are you doing, God? Surprise, I'm letting them go. So, verse 8 again, and they will come out to deceive the nations who are in the four corners of the earth, God and Magog, to gather together for the, for the war. Oh, excuse me. Verse 7, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. And verse 8, he will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, God and Magog, to gather them together for the war. And the number of them is like the seed of the sanctuary. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also now, now we're thrown into the lake of fire, and they will be tormented day and night forever. Now listen. Some of you have this chart. For those of you who regularly attend, you have your own. But this is where we're at. This is the millennial kingdom. If you have your sermon notes, you fill in the blank. Surprise, there's a millennial kingdom you should know about. The key word, first of all, we need to talk about is the kingdom. God has told the people of Israel that there is coming a kingdom. And on your sermon notes, I want you to see that I said that basically that you should have been able to know about this kingdom. Surprise, there's a millennial kingdom because it was prophesied. And what do I mean by prophesied is that God foretold many things about this coming kingdom. A kingdom is a realm, and, it's a, and, and, and it is a time when Israel was going to rule over the world. And it started with Abraham, and it goes into all the prophets, most of the prophets. You can find something that ties into the kingdom. Now, I've got a booklet called The, uh, the Millennium. That we gave a book that a good friend of mine, Michael Block, wrote. And we have it free. We have a couple left. Some of you already have it. Some of you have done in-depth study. There's a book by Alvin J. McLean. It's called The Greatness of the Kingdom. And then my friend Mike Block also wrote a book called He Will Reign Forever. These are thick books. And the reason I'm saying like this, that it's thick books, because there's lots of material on this. But let me just give you the highlights, because I don't want to bore you. But I just want you to know, when God told Abraham about land, seed, and blessing, he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. Then he tells David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that a descendant of his will be on the throne forever. And he begins to talk about this kingdom and this kingdom so much so that what when we're just going into the whole death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus study next week, we know that 40 days after Jesus raises from the dead, 
when he ascends up into heaven in Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, his disciples asked him this question. Is it now you're going to start the kingdom? Now listen, this is important because people who aren't astute will think, oh, we're in a spiritual kingdom now. And they'll take passages and they'll grab them and they'll pull them in and they'll think, and they'll make it like we're in this kind of spiritual realm now. Listen, God has always ruled and reigned. But when the Acts chapter 1, you're asking about the kingdom, they are asking specifically about you ruling and reigning because the promises to Israel are so clear in Scripture that if they didn't come true, that I believe that it would just totally destroy the Bible. God has said that Israel will have this time of a kingdom on earth. And this is it. And we who study our Bibles should know this. And I want to show you one passage that makes this clear because why I want you to grasp it is when I alluded to the fact that the majority of churches today do not hold that this is a literal thousand years is because they think that, that when you come to this, that this is, that there's no way that God would do this. Let me show you one passage, and Michael Vlott's book has four or five that are similar to this. But turn your Bibles back to the book of Isaiah 65, the Old Testament. I've alluded to this in the past, but I really want you all to own this. Isaiah is a book in which he writes before the Assyrians attack the Jews in 722. And he continues to write through the, the six years of 600, maybe 680 B.C., before the Babylonians attacked. And in it, he's telling Israel, you're going to get slammed by the Babylonians. But when it's all said and done, I want you to know God is going to take care of you. Because he's going to have a virgin, have a baby, and the, what, he's going to be a suffering servant. And basically, he's going to pay the penalty for your sins. That's all in the book of Isaiah. But when it all gets done, we're going to have this kingdom. And it's going to come in two phases. This earthly part, and then this heavenly part. But a lot of people miss this, that there's that two parts. Let's talk about this one that we're talking about in Acts, I mean, Revelation 20. So you look at the, Isaiah 65, verse 17, and I'm just cutting through it. He says, Behold, I create new heaven, a new heavens and a new earth. And the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. And you say, time out, Mike. You've got to be talking about eternity. No, I'm not. Watch. Verse 18. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. And I also rejoice in Jerusalem and I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who doesn't live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will thought to be accursed. Surprise. What do you mean? New heavens, new earth. That's not, no death, God. Nope. You die at 100, you're thought to be accursed. Has that ever happened in human history? 
since 720-some B.C.? Absolutely not, it hasn't. This is what has been prophesied. This is the thousand-year reign. We don't learn it's a thousand years until you come to the book of Revelation. But the coming kingdom is something that God wants the Jews and he wants believers to know about. Because every church that denies that Israel has a future is turning the scriptures on its head and ignoring a passage like this. We need to understand, verse 21, they will build houses and inhabit them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain or bear children in calamity. For, their, for they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. Verse 24. It will also come to pass before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. It's because Jesus Christ has come to earth. And the, it's amazing. He will be right there. And we can call to him and he will answer us immediately. It's an incredible time. The wolf and the lamb will graze together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. And I'm going to say something right here. You better catch this. Watch this. And dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in all my mountain, says the Lord. Did you catch that? Why would a snake still be eating dust? Because a snake is going to be a reminder to us during the thousand years, just like Ezekiel's temple will have sacrifices, this serpent being in the dust will remind us about the fact that there's still sin that needs to be dealt with from the perspective of having it eliminated, and we'll get more to that in our Revelation 20 study in a couple weeks, but you have to understand, this is a time period where there are pointers that are reminding us that we're not in eternity, people. This is all prophesied, and it shouldn't be a surprise. Now, what I want you to understand, if you go back to Revelation 20, is there... The reason we also shouldn't think this was a surprise is because God has used numbers literally in Revelation. And I want you to understand, now that we as a church have worked through 19 prior chapters and we come to the 20th chapter, one thing that I think I've demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt, when God uses numbers in the book of Revelation, and he talks about like seven churches, these are the seven churches that are listed in Revelation 2 and 3, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Tyre, Sardis, Laodicea, and Laodicea, and he, Philadelphia and Laodicea, and he says these are the seven churches. Guess what? You count them, and there's seven. He says there's going to be seven. He talks about the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bulls. Guess what? There's seven. There are two men who are proclaiming God's gospel. Two. There is one angel that's flying in heaven. It's one. Listen, people, whenever a... a Number, a digit is used in the book of Revelation. It's literal. And, and, and all of this is for you to grasp the idea that there's this coming kingdom. Let me illustrate this, though. Why this is so important is because, because I want you to understand the idea of preparation. Surprise! Let me give you this illustration. Imagine you're a college student applying for a highly competitive internship at a top-tier company. 
The application process requires a thorough understanding of the company's values, products, and mission, as well as a demonstration of relevant skills and experience. You spend weeks researching the company, studying their products and services, and practicing your interviewing skills. On the day of the interview, you arrive at the corporate headquarters, and you are fully prepared and confident, ready to impress the interviewers with your knowledge and your experience. As you wait in the lobby, you overhear the conversation of another interviewee who's bragging to his friend about he didn't bother to study for the interview. He says he assumes he'll just charm the interviewers with his personality and get the job anyway. When the interviews begin, you shine with your well-prepared answers and thoughtful questions, impressing the interviewers with your knowledge and dedication. However, the other interviewee falters and struggles to answer even basic questions about the company's products and mission. In the end, you're offered the internship. While the other interviewee is rejected, he later finds out his lack of preparation cost him a great opportunity, and he regrets not taking the application process more seriously. This illustration demonstrates the importance of taking time to study and prepare for opportunities. Whether it is a job interview, an exam, or another situation that requires knowledge and expertise, failing to prepare can cost you a great opportunity, while investing the time and effort to study and practice can give you a significant advantage and increase your chances of success. So where are we going with this? Here's application. Are you getting ready for this kingdom? Because this kingdom is coming, people. And it shouldn't be a surprise to you. And I want you to understand that we're talking about being prepared for the kingdom. Now, I step back and you say, wait a second, Mike. I thought today was a special day because we're talking about Palm Sunday. How does the millennial kingdom tie in? How does the millennial kingdom tie in to Palm Sunday? Surprise, it's key. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 19. Because as we go into the Gospels, Palm Sunday is one of the four events, one of the events that is in all four Gospels. It is one of the events that stands out and marks where you know you're at in the progress of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Every one of these Gospels that tell the life of Christ have this significant event. Why is it so significant? Because all those prophecies about the coming kingdom had a prophecy included that the king would come exactly on this day. Some 2,000 years ago, the day that Jesus Christ, and I think it's a Sunday, came into Jerusalem, was prophesied by Daniel. And we sang a song about rocks crying out, and the idea is literally that if Jesus wasn't recognized as king on that day, he would it would cause an earthquake. It is that significant. The validity of scripture tied into the reality of what happened. Jesus has been alive for three, I mean, has been ministering for three years. He's been walking on water. He's been raising the dead. He's been giving sight to the blind. And prior to that, some 33 years prior to that, we know that a man named John the Baptist had parents 
who had a father that was told that your son's going to be a forerunner of the coming Messiah. We had a man named Simeon who was told, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. And then he holds the baby Jesus, and then we assume that he died. We're never given that in Scripture. People, the awareness and the heightened awareness of the coming of Jesus Christ on that day was not done in secret. God doesn't do much in secret. I believe, I think he tries to get people to know what, what's going on. We hold up these palms and we see in Scripture there was a crowd. It is estimated that crowd, we can't even begin to imagine, was a million people. Now, I have been here. This is a picture of Jerusalem, okay, today, and that wasn't there 2,000 years ago. But if you can imagine, you're standing on a hill right about here, and you're Jesus. And you see the streets are lined with people with anticipation, people who've been oppressed, people who've been beaten down by the Romans. They've been beaten down by the, the, the Babylonians, then the Medes and Persians, and the Greeks. And then the Romans, and they have this prophecy, and they know their king is coming, and they are all aware of everything that Jesus has done. You've got to imagine they're all on edge, excited. And Jesus says, surprise, surprise, stop. Look at Luke 19. This is a passage I hope you never forget. The triumphal entry is recorded in verse 28. But look at verse 11. While they were listening to these things, this Jesus' previous teaching, Jesus went on to terrible, tell a parable, a story with a spiritual truth. Because he was near Jerusalem. And what did they suppose? Remember? They supposed that the kingdom of God was about going to appear immediately. Surprise. Remember what a surprise is? Something you didn't expect. Step back. Jesus tells a parable. Jesus tells this parable. So he said, a nobleman went on a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then returned. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas. Ten minas is one-third of a year's wage. So the average salary in America is $60,000. He gives them ten of these. Ten times 20 is... This is $2 million he gives them. Okay? Do I got that right? No, right. 200,000. 20,000 times 10. No, it should be 200,000. 200,000. He gives, he gives each person $200,000 in modern day equivalency. So he calls 10 of his slaves and he gave them, verse 13, 10 minus and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens heard but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. And we returned after receiving the, what? When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had been given the money, he called him to, to him so that he might know what business they had done. And the first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good and faithful slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, your mina, master has made five minas. And he said to him also, you are to be over five cities. And another came saying, master, here is your mina, which I put away in a handkerchief. And I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man and you take.
take up where you did not lay down and reap where you do not sow. And he said to him, by your own words, I will judge you. You worthless slave, did you know that I am an exacting man taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Verse 23, then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you, to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does not have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. That's sweet, Jesus. Jesus tells a parable. Guess what? Surprise! There's going to be a delay. There's going to be a delay in the kingdom. Go back to the beginning. They all thought it was about to start. They're on the verge of Palm Sunday. And Jesus wants the people who are going to have insight know there's going to be a delay. There's going to be a delay in the kingdom. Now, this parable will be told a couple days later, and it will be recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. We might even turn there later, but Matthew 25, I believe it's in verse 14 and following. And it's going to be switched up a little bit. In this one, we had ten people who were given ten minas each. In the next parable, it's going to be very similar. They're going to be given five talents, which is the equivalent of money. But it's only going to be three servants given five, two, and one. That's important that you follow that. What you and I need to understand, what we need to understand here is that we are told about a delay. Now listen, let me illustrate it. Pretend you're a group of passengers waiting at an airport gate, looking expectantly at the flight information display. When suddenly the gate agent announces over the intercom, the flight is delayed by several hours due to mechanical issues. Delay. Or you're a team of workers on a construction site gathering around the supervisor as he announces the delivery of crucial building materials that have been delayed, pushing back the project timeline. Delay. Or you're a crowd of concert goers waiting for a headline act to take stage when suddenly the event the organizer comes out and announces that the show is going to be delayed by several hours due to technical difficulties. Now listen, how do we apply this? Because in every one of those situations, maybe there's something similar that you've been into. Surprise delay! But if I told you you're going to a concert and start at 7, but it's not going to really kick off until 10, guess what? Changes your mindset, doesn't it? My application for you is to understand, don't be frustrated with the delay. We are in living in the delay right now. We understand it's a delay. We understand. And because you have a concert that's going to wait around, you figure out something to do. If you're on that construction site, you figure out something to do. You just don't go to sleep, right? No boss wants his employees just to say, well, the materials are delayed. We're not going to work. We're going to do something. And therein lies the surprise. Because this parable that was telling about the delay has another application. Did you all catch it? There's going to be delay in the coming kingdom. 
But now, when the boss is away, work becomes a holiday. Because some of the people said, I'm not going to do nothing. You're given talent. I'm going away. I'm not doing nothing. But other people did stuff. The parable from Palm Sunday is telling us about life while Jesus is away too. And more so when he comes back to get an account of how we live. Are you surprised? <coughs> you surprised a little twist here? You understand? Palm Sunday, Jesus sees us coming and he says, stop. I'm not, I'm, kingdom's not going to start. But let me tell you a parable. And let me tell you a parable that's really, really important. And what I want you to understand is this. Jesus really did warn you about him being away. And for those of you who know what a red flag warning is, they put it in like parks and arid places where their potential is for a potential fire. And I put that up there strategically so that you and I understand, that you and I understand that this is a potential because what I want you to think about is the talent that you've been given. Right now, on a scale of 1 to 10, if you're honest about yourself, what would you give yourself as a talent? Would you say you're a 2, a 5, a 10? I think most of you could, could be definitely above 5. Seriously, write it down. Look at it right now. Write down what you think you are. Then write another number down. Write and honestly ask yourself, what level of fruit have you produced in your life? Because if you can say you're a 10 or you can say you're a 5, it better be corresponding. Jesus gave a parable, and we all need to understand. Do you look at Luke chapter 19, when he says to verse 24, he says to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And he says to the master, he has ten minas already. He says, I tell you to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does not have shall be taken away. It, you need to understand, Jesus is trying to warn everyone, you better be a fruit producer. Because unless you are producing fruit, you are in trouble. Turn over to Matthew 25. Matthew is before Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. So this is just a couple days before Jesus Christ is going to be crucified. He's going to repeat the parable. He knows that he's dying. He knows that he is about to leave the earth. Okay? And so he needs to tell the exact same parable, but he's going to twist it a little bit. And it's called the parable of talents. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you need to understand it comes down to the exact same concept. And you pick up in verse 27, when, or pick up in verse 26, when the person who has a zero, you understand? Or who basically comes back with the same number. And he says in verse 26, but his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put money in the bank, and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. So it sounds very similar, but again, it's talents versus minus. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who, the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, 
More shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does not have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. People, that's hell. That's the burning fire. That's why I put that image up there. Honestly, look what, what level of talent you rate yourself. Honestly ask, what in the world do you think I'm producing? Honestly, maybe come to me. Come to an elder. And if I were to look at you, I'd say, for your ability, what you're producing in your life, it is nowhere near the ability that you have. People, surprise, this is Palm Sunday's message. You see, Jesus really did warn you about him being away and then coming back to give an account. And what he wants you to understand is when you look at Luke and Matthew's messages, that he's trying to get you to understand only fruit people get into the kingdom. Only fruit people get in. Now let me illustrate this for you. Because you are like employees. And God has said, you're my servant, and I am giving you abilities. In 1911, ironic, March 25th, so just 112 years ago, almost to the week. In New York City, there was a company, and the name of the company was the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. You may never have heard of it, but every one of you have benefited from it. Why? Because the way it changed labor laws in this country. Because the employees at the Triangle Shirtwaist Company in New York City were given responsibilities. They were given responsibilities about the doors to be open, closed, how they were supposed to handle their product, how they were supposed to handle the chemicals, and guess what? They didn't do it. And when a fire broke out on March 25th, 1911, 126 employees, the worst factory fire death in the country ever heard of happen. Because the employees didn't do what they were supposed to do. The application for you is to say, what level of fruit am I producing in regards to my talents and my abilities? And to challenge yourself, and challenge yourself today, it's gotta change. I I'm just trying to warn you, because I don't want any of you to find out, surprise, get away from me, I never knew you. You produce no fruit. Coming to church isn't fruit, people. Pastor, you say, wait a second. How does this tie into the naked lady? Turning your Bibles back to Revelation. Remember I told you the story and the nurse who was naked. Jesus in Revelation chapters 20, I mean 2 and 3, is trying to tell people in his evaluation of churches, and I don't believe we're... The Laodicean church, but I think there can always be elements of people in our church, like Laodicea, people who come to church and they're not saved. And the people at Laodicea at this church are filled with non-saved people. 
It's hard to imagine, but the church at Laodicea, as he evaluates every church, and i got to point out, it's interesting when you look at many of the promises that God gives to the seven churches of Revelation tie in not just to eternity, but to the kingdom. And the church of Laodicea is, I'll pick up verse 15, Revelation chapter 3. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, cold nor hot. They, were, they, got, they got cold water from one area, they got hot water from another, and that was both of those were good. But he says, I wish that you were cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm, basically, not only I spit you out, I vomit you out. Very graphic. Verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. It's really vomit. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind, and there's our word. Naked. Listen. One of the most scariest things they say for people is to be somehow thrown out into a public setting and being naked. The only person I know that did it with a purpose was Lady Godiva back in the 11th century. It's supposedly a true story. But being naked means you don't have spiritual clothes of salvation. We're going to study this in Zechariah. I'm going to push again for the men's study. We have to be dressed appropriately. Matthew also 22. To be naked before God is to be that you're standing there without any support for your life. You are going to be judged on your works apart from Jesus Christ. So he says, verse 18, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline therefore be zealous and repent. Verse 20, I believe is a salvation call. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and, op and opens the door I will come to him and will come with him. And dine with him, and he with me. And then you see verse 21, he overcomes. I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne, and also overcome and sit down with me on my father's throne. Listen, that is in the millennial kingdom. So the point here is this. In Revelation 3, 15 to 18, naked people don't get into the kingdom. <laughs> Naked people don't get into the kingdom, people. So we can laugh at a nurse who comes out and everyone says, surprise, you're naked. But I don't want anybody, because this is all tied together. I don't want any of you to be able to say, wow, was I surprised at judgment. I didn't think you were really going to be looking for fruit. The fruit doesn't get you saved. The fruit is evidence that you've got the salvation. What I'm asking you to do is this, and I know this is a long for an action step, but if you're being faithful, stay the course. But always see if you can do more. If not, stay the course. If you're a five and you're producing a five, if you're a three and you're producing three, do it. Stay faithful. But don't regress. But right now, if you're not producing fruit, change course today. Idea, repent. You ignore this warning, and it's, uh, I had another illustration that I didn't give you about being bit by a snake. 
It's, you're, it's worse than being bitten by a snake. It's hell. It's worse than being caught in an earthly fire. It's hell. Start using your talent for God. So look, today was a day of surprises. Some good, some bad. It's a special day in history. But it's a day a lot of people expected the kingdom to start, but it didn't. But let me tell you, that kingdom is still coming. The fact that the kingdom is in Revelation surprises many people, many churches. But for you and I, it shouldn't because we study the word. And the thousand-year reign by Jesus, the thousand means a thousand. And boy, are they going to be surprised when they're in it. But you're not going to be surprised. More so because you remember the parable that Jesus taught about the minas and the talents. You're preparing for it. Because the people who are going to be prepared for it are going to be given authority and blessings at judgment as we go into the kingdom, as we rule and reign. You are using your gifts and your talents now. And you all have gifts and talents. And you say, wait a second, not everything was supposed to tie in. You say, you know, Annette got the card, the gift card, and that just seems like so unfair. And I know the reason this all ties in is because I wanted to, some people could be saying, look, she's got more than me. I don't know why God does what he does. We all wish that we were tens. We all wish that we were fives. We all wish that we had more. And God gives to some and he gives to others. I can't tell you why you've gotten the abilities that you have. God is sovereign and it seems random. The gift to the gift card wasn't. That's because why that's why I had Annie's little boy, Charles, pick out the cards for me. But God is sovereign and He's got a rhyme and a reason. And He's done for every one of you, He's given you, now I'll use the word talents for the idea of abilities, because talents in Matthew is dealing with money. But the idea, He's given you guys all different abilities. And, and you can say, well, look. Annette got this much. Sean got this much. Mike got this much. Becky got this much. Annie got this much. Brent got that much. Why don't I get more? I don't know. But I gotta tell you, and I asked you, and maybe you felt self-conscious about doing it, because I didn't see everybody doing it, and I didn't demand you to do it. Every one of you should be able to have a number. It's fair, I think it's absolutely fair. On a scale of one to ten, what level of ability do you have? Fine. You say I'm a one, a two, whatever. Jesus expected a one to produce a one. Jesus expected a five to produce a five. That's all I'm trying to get you to understand. Palm Sunday is a day for us to remember the kingdom's been delayed and we're living in that delay. None of us want to be surprised and be found naked. None of us would want our spouse to throw a surprise party and us to be found naked. Nobody wants to die and all of a sudden stand by God's expression. You're standing here naked before me. Get away from me. I never knew you. We're living in that delay today. So today I can tell you if you looked at your life and you said, I don't see any fruit in my life. Call out to Jesus right now and repent. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that we're sinners, 
None of us deserve none of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve heaven. We all deserve judgment. We can't fix our problems. The way you think, the way you speak, the way you act, sins, the sins of omission, all problems. The penalty for that is death. The only solution is the fact that Jesus Christ, when he came into Jerusalem, knew that he wasn't bringing the kingdom that day. Even though it was a legitimate offer, we'll talk more about that, but he came to die, to pay the penalty. And that's exactly what he did. And when he rose from the dead on the third day, it shows that the payment was received. And today, we tell people, if you believe by faith alone that you want to give Jesus control of your life, because that's what it means to repent. You turn from your sin, turn from you being in control, and you're submitting to Jesus, and you're saying, be my Savior. I don't want to go this way anymore. Amen. And when you come and you believe upon the Lord Jesus, he gets inside you, when he empowers you, and you produce the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience. You produce the good works because it's the Spirit in you. And I say, submit to the Spirit. And if the Spirit is convicting you of sin, righteousness, and judgment right now, yield to it and call out. Because the next time Jesus comes, it isn't with a bunch of palms. It's with a sword. We just studied it. And he kills every one of you who's producing no fruit. But we who believe, what a wake-up call for all of us. Because all of you have to be thinking now about the level of fruit that you're producing. Surprise. This is Palm Sunday. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for a church that wants to know God's word. Thankful that we can piece this all together. It's amazing, Lord, the way you, you put everything together in your word. And I pray, God, that Palm Sunday will never be the same for any of us. That we'll all be thinking on a regular basis on how you knew that the light was coming. And how you wanted us to take these two parables that are so important about being productive, that we don't become like the people in that shirtwaist company that ignores what we were told to do. Help us to be more diligent. Help everyone that's a believer in this room right now to commit to being more fruit-producing. Or even just to have the confidence when they say, look, this is what I'm producing. This is, these are the talents you've given me, and this is the level I'm producing. To be at peace with that. It's not a time just to meet people up. But to encourage believers and to say, look, I'm doing what I, I can. Maybe my health, maybe my e economic situation, maybe my education isn't where I wish it would be. But I'm doing what I can. Praise God for people in our church that are so faithful. And, and there are so many fruit-producing people. And there are many people in our congregation that are not going to hear the words... I never knew you. But I always know in any crowd there are people who are blind and need to put some clothes on. And I pray that today is the day that they do. In Jesus' name.